Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. It's like Groundhog Day. No, Glenn, it's Halloween. We bought you a calendar. <laughs> we taught you how to use the calendar so this kind of thing didn't happen again. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. It's cold out there, campers. <laughs> joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. It's all my fault. Of course, the audience doesn't know what I mean, but the other hosts do. Yes, this is our, our, our a multiple attempt at recording this uh, intro, and we've uh, answered the question of how many times can we try to record a bit before it just immediately lapses into movie references from 1984. The answer is two times. Yep. If anyone was wondering at home if we uh, if this one dies and we have to try it again. It's all going to be Frank Capra references in the intro. And we all hope <laughs> oh, wow. that doesn't happen. But we have the normal whatnot. We're going to answer some questions. But first, Matt, we have a great emergency, Charlie Brown. What? What? I got a rock. Yeah, we got a seasonal problem here. We've got a holiday problem. We've got an issue. It's uh, the... Is it... Is it- pumpkin spice stuff because i'd like to be a very original man on the internet and make fun of that because <laughs> women like it so it's dumb <laughs> anyway bacon flavored stuff yeah i think i think the pumpkin spice stuff is just delicious i don't know why anybody's making fun of it right that's the whole point is just well it's because i fell into a coma in 2014 and it's still a fresh joke to me so i'm just trying it <laughs> it's gold jerry gold <laughs> and now we're on a Banya reference. You gotta love it. <laughs> Moving um, into the 90s. So <laughs> we'll catch up in no time. Um, I'm driving through a small town uh, next to my own small town, driving by a little country church. And on the marquee, which we, we do like to take delight in the, the church marquees, um, is uh, a sign that started out okay and then, and then took a little left turn. Started out saying, October 31st. 7 p.m., trunk or treat. And you're thinking, that's lovely. They're going to do a nice thing for the kids. And then the bottom of the sign said, for the faithful. Mmm, that's crazy. I'm reacting to that like I've heard it for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Wink! So we've got trunk or treat, which for those who aren't familiar is when instead of the evils of trick or treating, you just, you did the exact same thing, but in the church parking lot and everybody's cars. But it's only for the faithful. Yes. The faithful at what? Well, so my interpretation of this as I was driving down uh, the highway there was, I think what they're trying to say is trick-or-treating is bad. Therefore, if you're the kind of evil parent who lets your child trick-or-treat, then you are not welcome, and your child is not (laughs) welcome at the trunk-or-treat. So if you want to be a good Christian parent— and get your kid candy all in one night, then you just bring them here exclusively, exclusively. Yes. And then you don't take them around to people's houses. But let me say this, before we break this down any further, as far as like the spookiness and the scariness, you know, like like ringing the doorbell at someone's well-lit front porch, not that scary. Like... Digging candy out of someone's trunk, which they could close on your hands at any time, <laughs> quite a bit scarier. Yeah. Well, isn't that what you tell children? Do not talk to people who want to give you <laughs> trunk candy. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, 
That's got to be a warning sign of some kind. Well, here's my question. This would certainly have reflected my attitude as a child, right? Is if you want me to do your trunk or treat instead of trick or treat, I need you to make me an offer on the kind of candy that we're talking about. Wow. Yeah. Because if you if you come to me here, put it this way. We'll start here. If the subtitle of your trunk or treat, you know, so I don't know, you know, faith community church annual trunk or treat, then the subtitle is full size candy only. I'm interested. Okay. I am now interested in your event. I'm not ready to commit to your event, but I am interested in your event. Well, so there's a there's a related issue to what Jed's talking about here, which is what would be kind of the signature candy of different denominations. We all know that we all know that candy corn has almost torn this podcast apart before. Um, and there are those who understand that candy corn is amazing, and there are those who aren't on the candy corn train. But it's an interesting question: What denominations would highlight different kinds of candy? Ooh. Well, I think we know that some of our friends in some Appalachian churches would be on uh, the gummy snakes. Oh, (laughs) Oh, nicely done. (laughs) Nicely done. That's really something. That's very good. That's very, very good. (laughs) I think your more legalistic denominations would want to shy away from anything with flavor. That's right. So... You know, because flavor is a little bit, uh, you know, that that leads to sin. So circus peanuts, I'm guessing, at that point. Yeah, something like that, you know, just, uh, or, you know, it, it, maybe it's like uh, just uh, a piece of white bread. <laughs> you know, just, just here's here's a slice of Wonder Bread. I mean, not, not like those pagans who put butter on everything, you know, that kind of... <laughs> Just you know, because you know that's legalistic people don't like joy that they find that you know leads to things. Is it possible to give out a full casserole at a trunk or treat situation? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Just you bring your own Ziploc bag and they just ladle some in there for you. There you yeah. go, just a scoop of mushroom soup. <laughs> 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 just there's also just the idea of like like some family tries to hide the fact that they dress their kid up for Halloween they put the you know they and we're going to try to make it past the legalists into the trunk or treat before you go to bed so we're going to uh you know put the the overcoat over the uh over you know whatever costume it is you're wearing whatever Disney movie came out this year kind of deal so that they don't see it you know, we're going to take the, we're going to leave the mask in the car kind of thing. And the idea of just somebody who's really, really on a legalistic kick, turning away that child. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I, I'm just going to put this out there and if it doesn't make any sense, you guys let me know. But if you're trying to do battle with Satan, <laughs> uh, the thing is you want whatever your your propo- your counter proposal to be better. <laughs> yeah, right. You follow right. what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like we're giving away extra candy. That's like okay, that's you know, I I get it. But if it's like come to our thing, it will be weirder and all of the weirdos will be there in a concentrated form. 
and you won't have any way of witnessing to your neighbors. That's like, uh, you know, because, I mean, that's a, you know, there are other world religions to explore. Do Maybe some of them are doing better candy than, than Christianity. Who knows? That's These are the thoughts that start to spring up. Right. Glenn, I think you're right on. And I think the marketing done properly starts to to write itself, right? So the the correct way to eat candy of course is in a king-sized portion that's that's yes. how you know that you're that you're doing it right and at this church we're celebrating the king with our king-sized right. candy giveaway there all it candies is. given out in king-sized portions again now i'm interested i think right. your trunk or treat's weird but if you're giving away a king-sized reese's i'm ready to hear what you've got to say <laughs> i mean let's just picture how this came about you 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 saying okay Satan and his minions, his evil uh, Beelzebub, uh, demonic, you know, whatever you have you. And we got to stop it. So here's what we're going to do. You know, let's brainstorm it. Who, what are we going to, how are we going to do it? And some guy in your meeting says, I think we should give people candy from my trunk. <laughs> <laughs> See, when that happens in your church meeting, you're supposed to say, no, Larry, Larry, (laughs) no, for the last time, every holiday, you want us to eat something out of your trunk. That's weird, Larry. No, take a knee. Just come up with something new. You know what I mean? You could be nice about it, but you got to tell Larry, you know, stand down. In this roundtable discussion where they're setting this whole thing up, I mean, there's got to be a person like Legalistic Jed that's there trying to pitch, you know, the Mm. biblical foundation for why we can't let children have joy or why we can't (laughs) let trick-or-treating children, uh, you know, have sweets or whatever. You know, why it's trick-or-treating that's really, really ruining children. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you think about it from, you know, because the thing about trick-or-treating is you go to the door and you don't really know what it's going to be. So it could be maybe it's a full-size Snickers bar house. Maybe it's a here's some of those weird foam peanuts house. Maybe it's the uh, the hated uh, travel-size toothbrush house. Who can say? <laughs> so in some ways, is not trick-or-treating just combining gluttony with gambling? Wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Jed's laughing at that because of how incredibly plausible that is. Oh, yeah. It's not the I'm, implausible, wacky nature of that. It's the, oh, yeah, that could be, yeah, that, that could fly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Ned doesn't believe in insurance. He considers it a form of gambling for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, and that's definitely it. Of course, another one of our favorite uh, ways to deal with legalism on this show is to try to flip it around and use psychological warfare to get what we want. So what are the tactics we could use to out-legalistic a legalistic person so that we get the good both quality and amount of candy? Well, here's the thought. I don't know if this would fly, but I just want to put it out there. What if my Halloween costume was that of a legalistic Christian with a sandwich board with all the verses about witchcraft being bad? So yeah, I could yeah, say yeah. that that my door-to-door trick-or-treating was a form of witnessing to my neighbors and calling them to repent. Mm-hmm. Judges. Wow. 
impressive. Well, Thank it you. was being weird and mean, which is what these people mean when they say witnessing. So I think that really passes <laughs> as much as. Right. Uh, and you didn't have any relationships in order to base any of that witnessing on. So they like that too. Oh, I stood away um, at a safe distance to do my witnessing. Here's yeah. another thing, and I don't know if this makes sense, but um, it's definitely in the category of plausible that they don't want kids trick-or-treating because that involves masks. Oh, oh wow. wow. Oh, snap. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, when you're doing the door-to-door uh, legalism costume, is that like a judgment or treat kind of thing? <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. So you could you could like give them some condemnation or they could give you a tasty treat. And I think that's like uh one of those it's sort of like uh like if you had sin and then you could pay for it to go away, kind of a Oh, very <laughs> indulgent, Glenn. Very yeah, indulgent. that kind of thing. You know. Okay. Here's here's my next idea. I'll just put it out there, but Lee inspired me. What if I went dressed as one of the 5G microchips that's in the COVID vaccine as a way of warning people about mm. the 5G microchips that are in the vaccine? Wow. And bonus point, I'm magnetic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you could go as a giant magnet. Sure. And yeah. That that you turned into because there. you know, just like a big horseshoe magnet, you know. <laughs> this, this, this is what happened when I took the vaccine. Listen, old man Henderson, turn that candy over. I'll just suck it all up with my magnetism. <laughs> well, yeah, you could kind of just go in a, a white T-shirt with the term long-term side effects on it. Like, Even though I don't exist from vaccines, it's the scariest of all. <laughs> Could you now? Now we've got an interesting idea of can we just spook the legalists so that they run off and we get all the candy, which is a perfectly legitimate Ooh. Halloween tactic. Oh. Um, could you go as that six hours a couple weeks ago that Facebook was down, which I was assumed <laughs> I assume was the most terrifying part of any of these people's wow. lives? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So real to the pure, all things are pure because you know the time when Facebook couldn't exist was great for a lot of us, but I think for some people it was probably the worst day of their life. I think the idea that we could ex, you know, get into there is the idea of uh, coming as Satan worshipers, you know, because they're they're trying, you know, they're concerned about that stuff. So it's sort of like give them the experience. But I think the <laughs> twist is you show up in sweaters and be more legalistic than they are. Oh wow! With your Satanism. <laughs> and I think that's one of those things where it might, you know, open their eyes a little bit. Well, I think you know, these like, are all fine options to deploy, uh, weaponize, if you will, at your uh, trunk or treat gathering. And I also think we can definitely uh, pick up the idea of uh, if someone comes to your to your door, uh, just giving them like maybe a Bible quiz before you give them any candy, because apparently wow. that's what we're doing. It's only for the faithful. Asked them to hand in their uh, their church attendance report, which, as I understand it, is actually a thing that exists at some churches. I realized mm. as I was uh, trying to make up something for a joke. <laughs> See, what I'm saying is you put on the sweater, you put the little red horns on, you go in there, and you just start criticizing. Like, that pumpkin is totally racist. 
And it's like, you know, it's racist against Satanists, you know, all that. You know, like, that's a that's a symbol of oppression, whatever it is. You know, just kind of shake them out of it a little bit. The idea of the Satanists also wearing the sweater, it's just like, it's like whatever legalistic kick you're on, it's it's just a cool vacuum. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Just vacuum Here's, out all the cool. I, I just want to ask really, you know, from just an image standpoint, right? Like, I mean, th- this time of year, people like the festive sweater that's got like the reindeer on it or the snowman on it, you know, th- these kind of things. For the Satanist sweater, could you have like little pentagrams or little goats on it, on yeah. your sweater? But in the exact same style, though, like, is that a possibility? <laughs> just adorable goats. I indeed, indeed it would. And I think on that note, we will declare our autumnal emergency off. But hopefully also a, a beginning of a, you know, a full-size candy bar emergency for all who, for all who keep mm. the season spirit in their hearts. <laughs> That's a thing you can put on your church sign if you want to actually do some business. Uh, but uh, so we move on to uh, Bridgebox. We want to tell you about that. Beginning of every month. Hey, the day after, uh, the day after Halloween, a new edition of Bridgebox will be coming out. If you're in either a candy-induced fog or really feeling bad because you didn't uh, make the most of your trunk-or-treat, you really need to pull out of that uh, sugar hangover, you can do so with a brand-new edition of Bridgebox. Head over to missionusa.com slash Bridgebox before then to make sure you get signed up for that. You can also check out our Bridgecast, our video version of our Bridge service, every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, or if you can't catch it live, it's over on our Facebook page whenever you want to peruse those, facebook.com. Slash the Bridge Chicago. If you can't be in Chicago with us on Tuesday, it is the next best thing. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down in your episode description and click the links there. Our first question comes in and says, How do you know when it is time to let relationships go? I love my friends and family members, but I also know some of them are not capable of being healthy or kind. How do I show the how do I acknowledge the love I have for them? but also let go at the same time. And an an excellent question, a very common uh, scenario we hear in various levels and degrees. But uh, Jed, where do we start off? This is a great question. We're really glad. We're glad that you wrote in. We're really glad that you're thinking about this at all. The, The fact that you're asking this question in any way, I think, means you're heading in a really great, really healthy direction in your relational life. So this is good stuff. So far, you you seem to have proposed kind of two options. Option one is I basically keep my relationships with people the way that they are. Option two is I just kind of let them go. And those are two options. And, and sometimes one of those options is the right option. But I want to start by proposing to you a third option that is very often a good one and that will almost certainly be useful for at least some of the relationships that you are looking at. And that option is not to keep things the way that they are or to just let this relationship go, but to reclassify this relationship in your life, to define it as something new that you're going to interact with in a new way. And in order to do that, we have to start by asking a couple of questions. The first question is, given who this person is today, that may be different than who they were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, given who they are today, 
what is this relationship realistically capable of being? And I want to encourage you to take some time and really think that through in a way that is at once both honest and non-judgmental. Let me explain what I mean. Suppose that you know someone where it's always about them. Every encounter, every interaction, everything is all about them. When you think about what that relationship is capable of being, if we're going to be both honest and non-judgmental, that means being able to say, this is a person where everything is always all about them. I'm not saying that they're a bad person, but I am acknowledging that that is the way that they relate, at least with me, is where everything is always about them. I don't have to judge them for it, but I do need to be honest that that is the way historically at least, you know, in recent memory and today that they interact with me. Because if we can, again, if we can both be honest about the situation and we're not, but we're not judging, we're not calling them a bad person, then we can begin to ask, okay, well, what kind of relationship are we capable of having given where they are at and kind of how they do? And I think like in this case with this example that we're using, what we would probably land on is we are capable of having a very shallow relationship where we meet up occasionally and I kind of set some some time boundaries of, you know, I can hang out for an hour. I can't hang out for five hours. Um, and then, you know, we do that every, I don't know, few months. The relationship is capable of being that. It's probably not capable of being much more than that. That leads to the second question that we need to ask. And that is, what stands in the way of letting this relationship be what it is capable of? And the answers to that are sometimes non-obvious. Sometimes what stands in the way of letting this relationship be what it can be is that we really super want it to be something else. We really, really strongly want this relationship to be a deeper relationship, a more equitable relationship, a more back and forth relationship. And so we're tempted sometimes to say, I really want it to be this other thing. And so I kind of don't want to. Consider letting it be the thing that it can be. And I think where that tempts us towards is that duality of either I'm going to keep things the way that they are or I'm just going to just cut this off. And again, I want to be clear. There are plenty of relationships where cutting it off is the right move. It's, it's the right step. But I think doing some, some looking at can, is it worth me getting to a place of accepting what this relationship can be? If I can be honest with myself about what it can be, Is it worth me doing the work to get to a place where I can actually receive that? And I think that at least some of the relationships in your life, it probably is worth doing the work to get to that point. I think that you probably have, again, not not all the people you're thinking about, but I think you probably have some people where it is worth having a shallow, not particularly amazing relationship where you talk to them occasionally. It's not going to be true for everybody on the list of people that you're thinking of, but probably for some of them. Um, it, it is, I think opening yourself to the idea of something is better than nothing. Sometimes that is true. It's not true in all cases, but sometimes it is true and giving yourself the freedom and the permission to consider that and to walk through the steps of looking at what it can be and what would it take for me to have a sense of peace about letting it be that I think is how you're going to begin to arrive at that answer is one more example. If you're looking at a relationship and you're saying, look, realistically, it's not going to be great. I've done the math. I've looked at the way that they are and how they behave, and it's it's not going to be great. Can I be okay with that? What you may begin to see is with this particular relationship, 
no, that would just be really hurtful. If I had to interact with this person and it was never anything more than than X, Y, Z, that would just it would just wound me every time we did that. Well, in that case, we are looking at letting it go. But critically, now you have confidence about letting it go. Now you can say, I've done the work. I've done the math. I've worked through the steps. Letting it go is definitely the right move. I can do that and I can have some peace. And that's the main thing that we want you to have is some peace as you make these tough decisions. I think it's a great, great place to start off because it's a really good foundation. And Glenn, where do we take this from there? Well, I agree. I, I think that was a really good start. I, 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 and I, I love Jed's point about you know the fact that we often are trying to have a relationship with the person that we wish they were rather than the person they are. Uh, and I think really we need to, you know, as he's suggesting here, have a systematic way of looking at these things and evaluating them. So it's not a purely emotional kind of caught up in the drama of the moment kind of thing. I think the, the first thing is to look at all the relationships in your life are, are meant to be either one-way relationships or two-way relationships. So one-way relationship might be a relationship a parent has with a child, uh, a pastor has with a parishioner or what have you, where it's intended for you to care for this other person, but it's not intended for it to be fully reciprocal. That you know, A child is not meant to go to work and, and provide food for a grown person who sits at home. It's, it doesn't work that way. It's meant to be one way. Uh, and then there are two-way relationships where the, the idea is we are mutually benefiting each other. So that's marriage relationships, friendships, sibling relationships, those kinds of things. Um, so I think part of that is, you know, if it's meant to be really a one-way relationship and the person isn't very thankful or isn't, you know, being very cool about it, that's one thing. But the the real question is, is that person allowing you to be a benefit to them? Uh, and if that's the case, then that's, that's something we can look at. In a two-way relationship, you're supposed to be looking at Am I benefiting them, and are they at least attempting to be a benefit to me? You know, it's it's never going to be 50-50, and if it was 50-50, you'd feel like you're doing 70 and they're doing 30, because that's kind of the nature of things. But, you know, ultimately, are we benefiting each other in this way? By the time people get to the point where they're asking this kind of question, it is a a relationship that's supposed to be two-way that has somehow become a one-way relationship. And within that one-way relationship, they're not really letting you benefit them either. They just want you to keep uh, doing whatever they want you to do. So um, ultimately that's just zero. There's, there's, there's no reason to uh, feel I need to do something with this because literally no one is, is benefiting by it. Uh, I think the other thing that's in this question, though, is this idea of how do I manage that? How do I respond to that? And I, I think the problem that you're looking at, and certainly most people look at in these situations, is that when you're dealing with people who have real deep, deep, deep struggles, that's bad wiring. You know, it's like we've talked about it on the show before, but if you take an insecure person, they can turn anything into insecurity. You know, if you say, that's a really nice sweater, they say, Wow, so you just hated the sweater I wore yesterday and you didn't want to say anything? I get it. You know, whatever. It's just it, that's how insecurity works. It just turns whatever people say into an insecure thing. Uh, 
therefore, I when you get to that kind of place and you have a relationship with someone who's in that kind of struggle, you're not thinking in terms of how do I try to manage that? How do I not set that off? How do I whatever? Because everything is going to set it off. Everything is is going to feed into that. I think you're better off in situations like that to, first of all, be honest and straightforward uh, and simply say, yeah, I love you. I It's just better in small doses. You're wearing me out. I care about you. I love you. And I, I'd like to have a fairly shallow, uh, semi-functional relationship with you. Uh, but I can't do the drama. I can't do whatever this is. I'm just not signing up for it. I'm not helping you. You're not helping me. Let's, you know, let's get a little bit of space and perspective and let's move on. They're going to turn that into insecurity too, or whatever that struggle they have. You need to let them sit with that. Uh, You need to control what you can control, which is, again, that being honest and being straightforward and giving yourself what you need. Because, hey, if they pop out of this and they are ready to have a healthy relationship, you want to be in a place where they haven't totally worn you out and where you don't you know, completely hate the side of them so that you can be ready to move forward with them. Another great place to take that. And Leah, let me just close this out here. And I think a lot of what Jed and Glenn are describing that may be very different than what people are used to with these things is I think the way people are used to approaching relationships that maybe have a toxic element, an unhealthy element, even an unpredictable element is just, Gosh, I hope this goes well. Let's mm-hmm. go to Thanksgiving with all these people and see what happens. Yeah, and yeah. what's being described here is actually going in with a plan, right? Yeah. And and I think these guys have done such a great job of laying these things out. I, I especially want to just kind of uh, just kind of look at a, a, an aspect of this again that, that both of these guys have touched on, which is um, the goal. It's really interesting that a lot of people think that... <clears throat> If I'm going to have a friendship, the only one that counts is a best friendship. Uh, if I'm in a family, the only the only way to look at this is that we are a close family. These are this is the way most people see their situation. Either either they look at it and say like, oh, "My family, we all hate each other," or like, "We're a super close family." Um, one thing that I want to say is, you don't have to be, and that's okay. You don't have to be best friends with everybody that you're friends with. Jed talked about this at the top. Um, you don't have to be a super close family. A really, really cool goal for a lot of relationships is I want to have no drama. That's a cool goal. Glenn mentioned yeah. the word drama in his response. If if you had the goal of like, I'm going to um, – Jed talked about let's do what this relationship can do. If I had the goal of – we're going to be we're going to have a family function and we're going to have no drama. Now, we have a goal that we can plan for um because we can set healthy expectations. Um one of the things that I completely completely agree with from the from the first response here is the idea of of setting up your hangouts for success. Um and if the goal is we're going to have low drama, then we can identify, okay, what are the things that kick off drama? Um, let's have an agreement that when we hang out, when we talk, we're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to do that. Um, we're, we're going to, we're going to completely skip that subject. And, and I've had relationships in my life where I've actually said to someone, I care about you and I want to have a friendship. 
Therefore, let's completely dodge this issue because I think that we can have a friendship if we dodge this issue because the goal there was no drama. If that person was to say, well, I I have to be able to talk about politics. Okay. Well, then we're not going to be able to hang out in that respect. But if, if if we're driving towards this goal of no drama, then we can say things like Jeb was saying at the beginning. Let's have a let's have a 45 minute coffee date. Not an all day, you know, we're going to hang out from the break of dawn until the clock strikes midnight or something like that. We're going to we're going to keep the conversation light and um and, and we're not going to have this facade or this pretend situation of we're a super duper close family. No, we're going to on this holiday, we're going to meet up at a restaurant, we're going to arrive in different cars, we're going to leave in different cars. And we can all kind of hold it together for the two hours that we're at this restaurant instead of trying to do an entire day Thanksgiving um, thing in the house with everybody in the house together. But this, again, exactly as Matt's setting this up, good planning, healthy expectations can completely change what we're looking at in some of these relationships. Um, maybe it is time to let certain relationships go, but maybe if we're, if it's not time, then we can have the separate goal of, okay, we're not a super close family. Okay. We're not best friends. But we want to be in each other's lives in some respect. So let's set the goal at low drama. Uh, let's zero in on the things that cause drama. Let's agree to not do those things. And let's set up hangouts for success. And that could completely change the shape or the face of what we're dealing with. All great stuff from all of these guys. I think that really gets at it from every angle and is an important step-by-step uh, situation you can do to put yourself in a position to succeed. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, I have some situations in my life that are just going to take time. Some are because I need to put in some work. Some are because other people are drawing things out. But how do I deal with situations that don't have a quick option? And another great question. I really like the angle on this question because I think so much advice when you feel in a stuck place, and we talk about it on the show quite often, is, doing something to get yourself unstuck. And, but there are situations where that's not an option immediately. There's no fast forward button on this for us right now. And Glenn, with that in mind, where would we start off? Well, I, it is a good question because I, I think, I think everybody can relate to this is there's nothing like that feeling of this, you know, a situation is taken forever to evolve into what, we know it's going to be. It's like being stuck in traffic or something. And if these people would just not be here and driving, I could be home already, you know, that kind of thing. We can get into uh, a lot of anger and frustration behind that. And, you know, I think the temptation for people like me who are trying to answer questions like this is to say, well, you just got to get your patience going and pray for patience and all of that. And in the broad strokes, that's the end goal. But I think the the first thing we want to look at is, uh, are you uh, currently in or in danger of getting in an obsession-type mindset about it? Are you in a loop on it? Uh, there are times where you just, you know, you get frustrated about something and it just sends it around and it sends it around and you're kind of rehearsing that and it's it's just building and building and building. Uh, when you get to that place, what you're really doing is kind of making that bad situation 
grow and grow with each time you send it around. So the problem isn't any worse, and it's not taking any longer, but the amount of suffering that you're experiencing is going up, and the Lord wants to have you not in that. Uh, So I think step one, once we move out of that mindset or know that we need to, uh, is to look at uh, the fact that waiting is not the same as being idle. Uh, I think there's... Uh, I, I think there's a, a lot of problems that we have with selling people on uh, not doing something wrong and sort of leaving them with the idea of the, there's just a gaping nothingness that I'm supposed to choose instead. So don't be frustrated. Turn that smile upside down. What is that? How do I do that? What What do you mean? You know, um, I think it's important to recognize Maybe the most uh, inappropriate thing, the least helpful thing you can do when you're in an impatient mindset is to do nothing. It it is good for you to find something else to do. Uh, That doesn't mean necessarily a distraction. It doesn't necessarily mean finding something else to obsess about, if you dig what I'm saying. Uh, It means uh, working on things that clear your mind, working on things that, you know, sometimes just doing a load of laundry or, or you know, reorganizing your sock drawer or whatever it is can just clean your mind out. And next thing you know, half the day is gone and you weren't obsessing about this. And that was great. Uh, the Lord wants to work with you on these everyday practical living out life things and uh, help you find things that are positive or, or lead to a positive benefit that you can be up to instead of obsessing, instead of just sitting around and waiting. Final thought on this real quick. I think when we when it comes to our Christian walk, we spend a lot of time asking, what should I do about this problem, about the situation? And the problem for you, of course, is you're talking about something where the point is to that you can't do anything about it. And so therefore you feel uh, at loose ends. I think instead of asking, what should I do, we need to reach a point of maturity in our in our walk where we're asking, what should I think about this? How, how should I be feeling about this? Uh, Lord, I want to kill this person. Is that righteous? Do I have a point? Maybe a little bit. Um, can you, am, am I just totally a jerk for feeling this way? And the answers to some of those things might surprise you. You know, you you might find out that some of the things that you feel are legit. When you know that, it's a lot easier to set those things aside, I assure you. Uh, Looking at how should I think about this problem needs to be, that's an important growth step, and it needs to be one that moves up uh, faster in the list of things that we're doing in response to frustrating situations like this. I think it's a really, really strong place to to start this off. And Lee, where would we take it from there? I I really uh, I, I love that idea of there's there's just some other things beside this that you can do to clear your head from from Glenn's answer. That's a really really good point. And I also think that one of the things that that tends to be true of me and and of a lot of folks is that when when especially we're faced with a situation that's a big deal that's that we can't really solve right now today, 
that's troubling and it brings up anxiety because we like things to be sorted and over. Uh, we like to be at the finish line uh, whenever some problem comes up. And with some issues, that's just something we can't actually do today. We can't actually, there, there's actually no way to get to the end point right now today, even though I would like this to be sorted and over. And that can be a cause of anxiety. It can be cause, a cause of just kind of the flurry of of all these worrying thoughts of like, I wish this was over. And and one of the things that I think is helpful, and um, it's it's helpful for me, it's, it's, it's some of the way that I... I talk to uh, that that we talk to our kids is looking at the fact that um, that this situation probably has some levels to it in that like I, I can't get to the end goal of this thing today, but there's some step I can take on it today. There's some work I can do on that today. I can handle one piece. Let's say you could separate this whole situation, this whole problem into 15 different pieces. You said some things I need to do the work on and some things other people are dragging their feet about. Um, Well, if there's a piece that you can work on today and you can actually get some work done on that, then you get this really, really cool situation, which is you get to celebrate a win right there. Whatever the little situation is, I'm going to, I'm going to take one bite out of that And then I'm going to celebrate that win. The whole thing's not over, but I did what I could do about that today. Um, So for an example, um, Christy and I have a child that is a senior in high school. So right now, you know, we're getting flooded with uh, the, you know, the, you know, letters from colleges, like every single day she gets two or three of these things in the mail and she's looking at, you know, applying for colleges and where she's going to go to college. And people are asking her what she's going to major in that whole thing. It could be just a giant source of anxiety. The kind of thing that just would keep you up at night of like, where are we going to go? How are you going to pay for it? What are you going to major in the whole thing? How, how, you know, do you, are you going to know anybody that lives in that town or whatever it is? And what we've tried to say is let's just handle one little step at a time. Let's just look, take take one little bite out of this because this is a huge thing that we can't solve at the moment. But every little bite that we take, we're going to we're going to be pumped about that. We're going to celebrate that. So if you fill out an application for a financial aid or if you fill out an application or you write an essay that goes on your general application, we're going to celebrate that. That was huge work. That was a really really good thing. And and that's just an example. She can't get to the to the finish line on that whole thing today, but she can do one little piece of that today. It's the it's the situational version of what the Lord talks about when he says, give no thought for tomorrow. There are parts of your issue that you actually cannot solve today. So we don't need to let that be the thing that's driving the bus of our emotions or or telling us how we're doing on this. I'm just going to look at the today piece. So that leads us to this. It's an important question for your situation right now. Is there a today piece? That's it. That's the question we're going to ask. We're going to look at this massive thing that we can't actually solve today and ask this question. Is there a today piece of my situation? If there's a today piece, then I'll look at that and tackle that. If I get the today piece done, I've actually gotten a 100% win actually can't do better than that. I have tackled the today piece, or I've put some work in on the today piece, and I'm going to give no thought about tomorrow. I don't have to win the whole thing. And what's really cool about this kind of approach is you get a bunch of little wins instead of just one. We tend to think the only win that counts is getting to the finish line, 
But what if we get a bunch of little wins along the way? So again, is there a today piece? What is the today piece? Let's attack that a little bit. Let's celebrate that win. And that's going to give us less anxiety and a whole lot more encouragement as we face this one step at a time. Another great, great place to take that. And Jeff, love to get you to close this out here. I think one of the aspects about this that needs to be looked at is how bad we are at thinking about timing, how long things should take, how long we expect things to take. How does that fold into what all we're looking at here? That's a great question, man. I, I think if, if I could put it in one word, that word would be expectations. I think few of us are clear with ourselves at just how powerful our expectations are. Uh, whether we're succeeding or failing, whether we're winning or losing, whether we're doing well or poorly, for most of us actually comes down to our expectations, what we thought this should be. And most of us actually have massively unexamined expectations about time and and how time will work and how long things should take in time. And we really need to learn to think about time differently. Uh, there's a quote. It's been attributed to a few different people. I I have no idea who it's original to, but the quote basically says most people massively overestimate what they can do in a year and they massively underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And that is super, super true. Um, people all the time have a sense, you know, particularly like we're getting towards the end of the year and, and as it gets towards January, we're going to ask each other socially, you know, what are your New Year's resolutions? And all kinds of people, and this is not to make people feel bad about New Year's resolutions. If you like that, it's great. But all kinds of people will list off a series of goals where no one could possibly do that in a year. Like there's just, you know, that that's that is not a realistic time frame. But people are capable of incredible life change over a slightly longer time period and are not aware of that. And I can give you an example of, of this playing out that I've I've seen happen a bunch because I work with people coming through going through a hard time and coming out of incarceration for a lot of years. And the, the current preferred term there is returning citizens. And returning citizens deal with this issue of time uh, every single day. I uh, Most, not all, but most of the returning citizens that I have dealt with, that I do deal with, it, want to solve the major issues in their lives in the next couple months. Like if I got out of, of uh, jail yesterday, within the next two or three months, I want to have most of the major issues of my life fixed. And you're not wrong to want that, but you probably are factually wrong to expect that that's possible because it's, it's just not, even if you did nothing but work on hard stuff in your life, 18 hours a day for three months, it just wouldn't happen. It, it wouldn't work. By contrast, I've seen a bunch of people again and again and again, who are able to hang in there, take things a little bit slower. And typically around the five-year mark, they have just transformed every aspect of their lives. You, you wouldn't recognize them. Um, everything about them has changed. Everything about their life has changed. Not only have all of their dreams come true, although that's certainly true, stuff they wouldn't have thought to dream about has come true. Um, there's been just this incredible, mind-boggling, miraculous transformation. It just took longer than they hoped it would. And I think that that's likely to be true for us as well. If if we need change to happen fast, then we're either going to feel real, real bad about ourselves when the change doesn't happen, or kind of even worse, we are imprisoned to only those changes that can happen quickly. 
And that's not a good way to live because most of the best things in life actually take real time. The thing that I want to encourage you to think about is how do you fuel yourself for a Mm. longer-term change? Mm. I think part of the reason why so many of us want short-term changes is because we get the idea of ginning up our willpower super strong and getting super emotionally activated about something in our lives and just going like a house of fire for a couple weeks or a couple months or whatever. But you can't sustain that for five years. You can't sustain that for 10 years. We need fuel other than just getting really, really hyped up and going as hard as we possibly can. And right along with fuel, I want to encourage you to think about what the evaluation metrics are that you're going to use. Because if you're on a longer term journey, you do need to know that you're going in the right direction since we're investing a fair amount of time in it. And if I could bring those two together just as a place to start is celebrate the little wins along the way. If you're trying to add up to a big change, most big changes are the summation of about a thousand smaller changes. The more that you recognize the smaller changes along the way and you fully note them and you fully celebrate them, that's going to give you a real boost to your morale, which is going to be fuel that helps you keep going. And it's also going to indicate to you that you are, in fact, headed in the right direction. The good news is that you can learn how to do that. The good news is that you can change the way that you think about time. The good news is that you can change your expectations and you can get into a place where you lean into the idea that you can transform your life as long as you're willing to give it a bit of extra time. We believe in you. God believes in you. Don't sell yourself short on this issue. Give yourself the time that you deserve to make the changes you want to make. That's all fantastic stuff. We're going to move on to our next question here, which actually plays into that idea of change and big changes in a very interesting way. I think question comes in and says, I've made big changes in my life. I feel like I'm kind of a whole new person. I don't know which parts of my old identity I should try to restore or which to avoid and replace. And Lee, I'd love to get you to kick us off here because I think this ties in very, very interestingly with where Jed left us on that last question, this idea that a big change is really the sum of a, a huge number of small changes. So in a way, big change is going to have this idea of what do I pick? What do I leave? What do I bring? What do I not do? But when we hit, maybe it's, uh, you know, a new job, maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's a time to those times we have to look at all these changes in aggregate. It can feel like we're a very different person and we have left some old stuff behind that maybe we shouldn't or vice versa. So how do we deal with this idea of, uh, parts of your identity that you bring with you or not? It's a really, really good question. And I want to start out just by saying that's amazing that you've made huge changes, huge changes in your life. Just as, as Jeb was saying a a second ago, I mean, this is not a small deal. This is this like for folks who have made massive changes in their life, they've put in time and work they've put in. um, They've, just put in so much energy and consistency in little ways over a long, long period of time to get through that. I mean, all of us have worked with people in recovery and, and, um, the amount of consistency and in, in little decisions that has to be made in order for people to, to work the program of their recovery. It's incredible. And so when you look at like, you know, when you look at like, okay, if you're a person who's made some really big sweeping changes in your life, and that's because of that kind of that kind of work and that kind of 
long-term, um, just long-term consistency, one of the things that you want to be very, very wary of is letting anybody else define what your identity is. Letting anybody else tell you who you are. The really funky thing is, is that pretty much everybody has those people in your life that if you will let them, they will tell you who you are and not always for the better. Um, we all tend to have those, whether it's family members or whether it's people from an old friend group or just, just kind of people, people from our past, or maybe even people at work that kind of will always see you as your worst moment and kind of always define you that way. And what you've got to get really, really good at is not giving that kind of stuff the time of day. Um, one of the things that I think is the, like a critical element for anybody going forward that is trying to make changes or has made changes in the past is a really important question of who has the credentials or the VIP access into kind of the inner parts of my life. I don't just give that pass away to anybody. I don't let somebody tell me who I am, who is, who is discouraging, who sees me um, identified as my old self or anything like that. I want to make sure that whoever is speaking into that place in my life is somebody that has my back, somebody that is encouraging, somebody that is not negative, somebody that realizes the work that I've put in, somebody that recognizes and celebrates the work that I've put in on this. And by the way, a really, really critical piece of that whole process is starting with the fact that primarily the person who I let uh, define my identity is God himself, is is Jesus. Like, I, I don't actually have, like, parts of my identity, like, well, there was the, there was the part where I was bad, and there was the part where I was on my, th- you know, and there's the part of me that when I'm with these people, I'm, you know, I'm this sweet, kind person. When I'm with these people, these people see me as my old self, and so I automatically go into that. I think we all have that kind of thing where it's natural to kind of behave a different way and act a different way around different groups of people. But the truth is, is that you don't have several identities. You have the identity that God made you and that Jesus rescued and is working on, which is that you are completely God's child. You are completely forgiven. And Jesus is at work in your life. That thing needs to be the kind of the root and the foundation of the way I see myself. And then after that, I need to be extremely, extremely picky about who gets to weigh in. Because if somebody wants to see me as my worst moment, I'm sorry, you don't get that VIP access. You don't get the credentials to get past the the, the back door. Um, I can't let you define who I am. I've got to I've got to say I have put in a lot of work. God is at work in my life. I am at work in my life. And the only people that get through those doors are the people that recognize that um, I'm not my worst moments. I'm not my worst mistakes. I am a person that God has forgiven and that God is at work in. And if you're on that with me, then you get to come through these doors. Otherwise, I just don't have time to care and I just don't care. We got to get good at deciding who gets the credentials, who gets to define us, who gets to say who we are. And um, the cool thing is, is that if you are a person who has made big sweeping changes, you're the person who has the right to do, to do that, the right to stand up for yourself, the right to stand up f- for the dignity of your identity in Christ and uh, the and 
and your dignity as a person who gets to decide who gets to weigh in on that. That's a wonderful, wonderful place to start that off. And I think Lee did an amazing job giving us that kind of 30,000-foot view, This the big question certainly of identity, where we need to root that, where we need to look at that. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there and look at now more on the individual parts, because there yeah. is our full over identity, as Lee's describing there, and it has to be seen in that whole way. But then there are uh, things about us and how we identify ourselves, things that make us who we are at different points in our life that we can kind of pick up and put down in some ways. So when it comes to those things, what are we looking at? That's a great question, man. I want to refer back to something that is in the the main question here. The writer says, I don't know which parts of my old identity I should try to restore or which to avoid and replace. And what I want to encourage you to do is to intentionally go through all of the facets of your identity and do a checkup on them. Mm. And I want you, as you go through them, I want you to ask two questions. The first question is, is this still serving my goals? There's a kind of person that I want to be. There's a kind of life that I want to live. Is this still serving my goals? This facet of my identity. And question number two is, is this still the kind of person that I want to be? You get to choose the kind of person that you want to be. Is this it? You know, no judgment. It's just, is this the kind of person I want to be? So let's look at some example questions for Again, doing that, that checkup on just various facets of your identity. Here's question one. Who are you at parties? Are you the loud guy who's always telling jokes? Are you the person who is, you know, off in the corner having a, a chill conversation with one or two other people? Are you the person who hates parties and doesn't go in the first place? Are you the person who goes to parties and wants to say something inflammatory and it gets asked to leave? <laughs> Yeah. Who are you? I feel seen by all these options, Jared. <laughs> who are you at parties? And again, question one, whoever you are at parties currently, is this still serving your goals? Does this help you get to the life that you want to live? Question two, is this still the kind of person that you want to be? Because you can change it. You can, your next party, you can be a different person at that party. So that, who are you at parties? The next question would be, who are you at work? And exact same kind of stuff. Are, are you the, the go-getter that's, you know, got to, you know, get the Jenkins account and do an amazing job? Are you the person who just kind of hangs back and waits to be told what to do? Who are you at work? And to be clear, I'm actually not offering judgment on any of the answers to these questions. That's not the point. The point is for you to decide, is this serving your goals? Does this help you be the person that you want to be? Uh, next one is, how do you see the world? Do you think the world is safe and good? Do you think the world is bad and evil? Do you think the world is fallen and waiting to be redeemed? How do you see the world? Who are you with your friends? Who are you to your friends? What part of you comes out when you're with your friends? Next one would be, how do you spend your free time? You may have a little of it. You may have a lot of it. Everybody has some. You have some time that is discretionary. How do you spend it? Why do you spend it that way? Very similarly, how do you spend your disposable income? You may have very small amounts of it. You may have huge amounts of it, but how do you spend it? Why do you spend it that way? Again, no moral judgment for me on this at all. It's just for you to think about. But this is the key thing, and this is the thing that I, I would like you to meditate on in, in, in more of a big picture sense, is I am a firm believer that intentionality leads to good outcomes. Any aspect of your identity, the more that you intentionally think it through and decide what you want it to be, the better you're going to like that part of your life. The more that you don't look at it and just kind of leave it to chance, 
the less likely you are to feel good about the outcomes that you get with that aspect of your identity. And so, again, the way that I read your question is there's almost a sense of like maybe I kind of have to go back and rethink some aspects of, of my identity. I'd encourage you to view it as a get to. And to really dig in on purpose, go through, cycle through, what are the big aspects of what makes you, you? And again, ask, is this still serving my goals? Is this still the kind of person that I want to be? If the answer to both of those is, yeah, maybe there's a way to do it sharper, or better, or stronger. But if it's not the kind of person you want to be and it's not serving your goals, then you have this huge get to of, man, now I get to change this and replace it with something that I like better and that I feel better about. Final point, I am a firm believer that you can make these changes. You are not stuck being the person that you have been. In little ways and big ways both, you can choose to be different. You, you can change the person that you are at parties if you want to. You may not need to. You may not want to. But if you want to, you can. You can change the person that you are at work. You can change the way that you see the world. That, your attitude is, is a choice that you make. So I want you to make choices that you feel good about, that get you towards the life that you want for yourself, and that hopefully are a blessing to other people in the process. All excellent stuff as well. And Glenn, where would we close this discussion out? Well, you know, I love all this stuff these fellows are saying. And, it, it, you know, we do deal in our day jobs with people who are making big changes in their lives. And, uh, you know, those really big changes can make you, you know, you, you feel like you're a different person. Uh, you're seeing the world in a different way. You're reacting to things in a different way. Uh, so it can be disorienting. So that's you know, that's a, a common thing. Uh, but on top of that, I think for a lot of those people, evolving feels almost like a betrayal of some sort. You know, I'm, I'm betraying the old me and I'm throwing the old me away and I'm not honoring whatever good parts of my old me and I'm just kind of trashing it and starting over again and something like that. And then, of course, you'll have some friends from that old life that that reinforce that and say, hey, you know, you used to hang out, man, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, pressuring you to be that old identity uh, because otherwise it's a betrayal of some kind. Here's the thing. Again, I think I have been blessed to see more human change than most people that you will ever have a conversation with, and it and it is a blessing. I do feel honored to be around people who've made big changes in their life. I can tell you this about that. Roughly 100% of those people became the person they always were on the inside. They never turned into a whole different species of creature that was alien and different and weird, but more productive or something like that. That's never happened. You know, we, we give you an example from our ministry. And uh, if you've uh, followed the the Bridge Live online, you've you've seen uh, some of the guys I'm talking about. But you know, if you look at Jeff from our our ministry. Uh, this is a guy who came up through, and he's talked about it on the, those broadcasts, he came up through very tough neighborhoods, very tough circumstances, and he had to become a very tough person in those situations. And then he found himself dealing with an addiction, and his strategy for dealing with that addiction was to isolate himself and to not um, be around negative people that would take him off of his sobriety. And it, on a certain level, is very smart. Uh, but then we're putting him in a position to say, okay, if you'd like to serve at the bridge, that means about 
that's about engaging with people and engaging with people who have struggles uh, and to do that in a servant-minded sort of way. And it was, I think, a very difficult transition for him to make mentally. But the, the thing I want to tell you about that is the moment he stepped across that line, it was like every tuning fork in his mind went off. I mean, just everything in his spirit was like, this feels, you know, natural and good and real. And it's like it all came spilling out like it's been waiting all this time for somebody to tap into it. And, you know, he, he will look at you or I in that kind of situation and say, man, I just feel totally different. And, you know, you could see that, but the, from our perspective, it looks like, no, I think this dude was in there all along. You know, it was just, we had to get all the junk out of the way for that real authentic you to come forward. So I really encourage you that it's, it, again, it may be a, a very different feeling for you, but I think that the junk is never who you are. The, the, the trauma and the baggage and the negativity and the things that you're growing out of, those aren't really elements of the real you. That's just what's been put on you. Uh, you will have a strength that you didn't have before once you grow out of those things. But it's not like I, you know, those things somehow were you. Uh, you just have that baggage out of the way so you can be that real you with that extra strength. Uh, final point on this real quick. I I think part of what you're talking about there is identity. And I wonder if you're confusing the idea of identity and personality. Uh, you know, identity is about who you are, you know, particularly for people listening to this podcast, you're thinking your identity should be rooted in Christ and you're right. You know, that's who I am. That's that. This is how I see myself. I'm a child of God. But personality is a different thing. And as you grow and as you improve and, you know, get closer to the Lord and all of that, as you make changes, your personality will change. And that's also universally pretty much going to be for the better. Uh, if, if if you feel like the old you was more fun, maybe ask some people around you, like, you know, yeah, it, it was fun, but it got tiring after a while. You know, we, we like the new you just fine. You know, keep doing what you're doing. Get get that stable place where you can be at peace, and we'll all adjust to that. So I, I would really encourage you that you don't really need to be afraid of that change. It's making you more the person God has created you to be. That's excellent stuff from all of these guys on all of these questions. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com, if you want to keep that totally anonymous. As mentioned, you can see uh, Jeff, Hector, many of our other deacons, and a full cast of Bridge characters on the BridgeCast every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash Chicago. If you can't be with us live wherever you are in the world, you can check that out on our Facebook page at your own leisure. We tell the song this week. You know, we've given certain groups of people a little bit of a hard time on this show, and as a peace offering, We offer them something they're going to feel comfortable with, something that's going to wash over them like a warm bath, a mighty fortress. This particular take by our friend Pete Lawson. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
The Say That Podcast reminding you that it's never really a good holiday when you're eating out of someone's trunk. (laughs) (laughs) Almighty Fortress is our God.